We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. And we're bringing you, you know, more guests the way that we know how to do it. And we're going to the Western Hotline now because fan sided Matt Lombardo joins us on the Western Hotline to talk some G-Men, some New York Giants football up here next. Matt, first and foremost, glad to have you, man. Thanks for joining us on this long holiday weekend hopefully uh, you got some good plans to be outdoors maybe uh, hit the links a little huh you got it Nate I would if it wasn't uh, 40 degrees and raining cats and dogs down here but I would have loved to be on the lake we had that yesterday yeah we we had that yesterday so you're getting the leftover stuff that we had yesterday not great dude Uh, not what I would call (laughs) ideal May uh, golf weather that's for sure no, it feels much more like October yeah. getting ready to go out and cover a game or go to a game and tailgate all day than it does, you know, gearing up for springtime. But we do what we got to do, right? And hopefully there are more golf days ahead. It is definitely the October type of weather where you're trying to convince yourself that, you know, yeah, I'll go out there while it's raining. Or it's not raining that bad. I'll put on a couple of extra layers and I'll still get, you know, 18 holes in. Like, I, listen, as as a New Yorker, as a Northeast, you know, citizen, you sort of... In October, if you're really unwilling to golf through the elements, I just don't know if the game's really cut out for you in the Northeast. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's not just November, right? you got to deal with, you're probably, if you're holding out for optimal weather, you're not getting out until after Easter. Yeah, so, right. you know, you got, you got to, you got to, you know, have some thick skin out there. you got to pull out the three-quarter zip. you got to, you know, bring the hand warmers if you need to, but you, you'll get through. You'll get by, and, you know, if you're not willing to play in a little bit of rain, then, then what are you doing? I hear you, man. I hear you. And you and me, yeah. I, I, listen, I, I, I know we're we're probably cut from the same cloth. I'll, I'll golf just about through anything, except I really, I really hate the rain and the cold. But I'll still do it. I'll convince myself, anyways. Um, <laughs> listen, man. I, what an interesting off season for the G Men. I, I was uh, looking forward to to getting you back on the program to talk a little bit about it because I think there, are, I think the NFC East went from one of the least fun, least interesting divisions in all of football. And then overnight, almost become, became one of the most interesting ones to talk about. I mean, if you look at Washington, if Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting quarterback there, you can't tell me that's not one of the most interesting programs in all of the, in all of the league. I think the Giants took a lot of steps both on the defensive side of the ball, at the skilled position, um, and on offense. And I think they're in a prime position to sort of be in the conversation. Obviously, the Eagles are you know going to be the Eagles this year, but... I think it's a three-team race um, for the top of that division, and I suspect, and you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I suspect the winner of the division probably will have more than seven or eight wins this year, right? <laughs> yeah, Nate, absolutely. And you know, I look at this division, and you know, it was the laughing stock a year ago, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a three-team race. I think the gap between the Eagles and everybody else is a sizable one. But you look at the Giants, and they're kind of in this two-fold mode going into this season because. They have Daniel Jones, who they chose, you know, number six overall, and they pitched their wagon to him, at least in the short term. Two really mediocre seasons. But you go out and you get him his best supporting cast that he's had in his entire career. You go and you get the premier wide receiver on the free agent market in Kenny Galladay. You take a really nice, intriguing, interesting, 
versatile weapon in Kadarius Tony in the first round. So you can line up outside in the slot. Hell, even put him in at the running back position alongside Saquon Barkley, who, by the way, the belief is he'll be healthy for week one. And then just for good measure, you sign Kyle Rudolph as a number two tight end. And we've seen the proliferation of two tight end sets mm-hmm. again around the league. And you have Evan Ingram there, you have Sterling Shepard there. So there are a lot of weapons on offense. You get a Dory Jackson to kind of shore up what might be now uh, the most improved position group on the roster in the secondary. And I really think that the Giants are in the mix in the NFC East. I think the Cowboys probably are the most talented roster from top to bottom. I think Washington might be the, the best and most balanced program with the best head coach in the division. But, you know, you throw those three teams in a hat, Anything can happen, and I think that you're going to see a couple of nine and seven teams. Maybe one team in the division makes it to ten wins, but I suddenly put this division as kind of a poor man's AFC West or a poor man's NFC North. I think that the NFC East, the AFC West, and the NFC North might be the three best divisions in football. You know, I'm wondering. You know, it's very clearly a disappointing season, second year for Daniel Jones. I think. We saw the step back, and I think a lot of people were maybe expecting to see the step forward. How much of Daniel Jones's year two struggles would maybe you want to pin on Jason Garrett? I Maybe not all of it, but I do wonder... Listen, I mean, this was a guy under Shermer that looked like he there was something there with him, right? Like, this was a guy that maybe had the goods to be an NFL quarterback once you sort of put the pieces that were necessary around him. I, I thought the year two step back, I thought, had a lot to do with scheme. And now, you're asking a rookie, or a, a young quarterback, to learn his second NFL system in as many seasons, so I think that's part of the equation. But as a play caller, I just didn't find myself overly impressed with Jason Garrett in year one of that system. No, I totally agree. And I think losing Saquon Barkley in year two was a huge blow to that offense overall because all of a sudden you don't have that running back that you have to game plan against. You kind of lose some of the zone read uh, yeah. you know, plays that would have been a lot more effective if Barkley were there. But you just think back to all the talk last summer was, okay, Evan Ingram is a very dangerous threat down the seam in the passing game, a guy that you can send deep, you can hit him on the run. Well, three or four weeks into the season – they had trouble getting Evan Ingram the ball. So much trouble, in fact, that they were running end arounds and putting him in the backfield just to put the football in his hands. So I, I just look at Jason Garrett and what he was able to do with Jason Witten and not able to replicate with Evan Ingram kind of as an indictment of him meshing his system to the personnel. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. This was a Giants offense that dinked and dunked down the field a lot. They didn't really maximize Daniel Jones' deep ball arm strength. A lot of, you know, zone read concepts and those sort of things. But I think it would have been more effective if Barkley were there. But if you're Daniel Jones optimist, this is the first time in the last three years that he's gone into an offseason with the same system that he had the prior year. Now, I don't know that I put that much stock into that. I think talent is talent and your ability to win in the NFL shines through relatively early. But the excuses are gone now. Once you add Galladay, once you add Rudolph, once you add Tony and Barkley back into the mix, it's now or never for Daniel Jones. And the Giants have two first-round picks next year that if Jones makes the leap, hey, fantastic, go and get the best offensive tackle. Go get a premier defensive player. But if he doesn't, if the Giants go – six and, and, and 11, you know, you're going to have to start thinking about using those two picks to go and get a Sam Hubbard or one of the top quarterbacks in this draft because the excuses are gone, the playmakers are there, and now it's up to Daniel Jones to take that third-year leap that most quarterbacks take in their second year. Yeah, and, you know, when you look overall, too, at this offense, uh, the skilled position, I mean, they uh, listen, I love the Kenny, Kenny Galladay pickup. I think he really slots in well in this offense. 
And here's the other thing that maybe, you know, when you talk about the skill positions they had last year, particularly at wide receiver, seeing Darius Slayton sort of as your de facto wide receiver two, maybe a healthy Sterling Shepard as that wide receiver one, adding Tony, adding Galladay, I think... It's an argument that I think a lot of people have with a lot of offenses where I think you slot in Sterling Shepard in a way better position to be successful when you're not asking him to bite off too much more than he can chew. Now he's maybe fits in that wide receiver two role. You get Tony or Tony in there in the slot in that wide receiver three role, and you have a bona fide wide receiver one. And now you have guys that are maybe slotted in far more better positions to succeed. You add in Rudolph, and now you've got five weapons and a, and a Saquon Barkley in the backfield that can absolutely be an elite-level pass catcher out of the backfield, and you're saying to yourself, you know, find me a group of five that maybe are a lot better than this. Like, I think they they deserve to be in the conversation of, you know, a top-tier, top-half-of-the-league skill position group. No, I agree. I think it's a top-ten collection of skill players on offense if the quarterback, if Damon Jones, can make the strides the Giants hope that he makes. And, you know, you talk about the receiving core. I really believe that Sterling Shepard does his best work out of the slot, so him you know, pushing outside in some packages or in four wide receiver sets operating in the slot with Kadarius Tony in the other slot, I think that might be ideal. And you spread defenses thin that way, and you open up all the options with Barkley catching the ball out of the backfield or, or as a running back with, you know, defenses in a dime or nickel situation. Um, but, I, but I think the biggest beneficiary in all of this, and, and, you know, it's kind of an interesting thought because he's knocked down the depth chart, but Darius Slayton is probably a really good, number three or four receiver on most teams. But asking him to be one of your top two receivers the last two years, I think that was asking a lot of Darius Slayton. Um, and, and now if he puts up similar numbers than he's put up his first two seasons and he's your number four guy, you're going to be doing backflips over that because you have Galladay, you have Shepard, and you have Tony. We've got Matt Lombardo here. He's a fan-sided national NFL insider. He's joining us here on the Western Hotline. We're talking some G-Men. We will get a couple of uh, some one-off NFL questions in here too, Matt. The last thing I kind of wanted to to get with you here on the Giants team is this defense. Um, I maybe – listen, I think, I think it's totally fair to say Washington, they have the best front seven maybe in football. Um, they've got some nice pieces on the defensive backfield. But I think – I think people might be sleeping a little bit on the moves Dave Gettleman has made on this Giants defensive front. Um, you know, uh, uh, keeping and retaining Leonard Williams was a big move for them. Um, getting some of the pieces in the secondary, um, going out and and like I, I, for everything that Tennessee didn't do, I look at like what the Giants did do, and I really like what the Giants have, both offensive and defensively. I think they're the kind of team that can win in both phases, and I think in today's NFL. What they're showing is this is the kind of roster you can build when you're paying a rookie quarterback a rookie a rookie salary. You know what I mean? So when you look at the defensive side of the ball, where do you think they stack up uh, in not only the division but maybe the rest of the league and, and talent and and potential wise? Yeah, I think they have a top five secondary in the league going into this year. Um, you look at what James Bradbury did coming over and making his first Pro Bowl playing at an All Pro level. You get a Dory Jackson, who's a former first round pick. He knows Logan Ryan, who's also in the building and, and should have probably made a Pro Bowl last year in the slot with Jabril Peppers and a really promising young defensive back in Xavier McKinney, who might have been the steal of the draft in the second round last year. You get him fully healthy, not coming off the foot injury that kept him out the first 11 or 12 weeks last season. And all of a sudden, this is 
probably in the secondary the most improved position group on the Giants roster. And I think that the one area where I think they would serve themselves to do well is continuing to add linebackers, whether that's a free agent in K.J. Wright, whether that's trading for a linebacker, because Blake Martinez is an all-pro caliber inside linebacker. We have a lot of question marks, a lot of rookies and second-year players at the other inside spot. You have a lot of uncertainty off the edge. Uh, but, but I like what the Giants have done in the secondary, and I think retaining Leonard Williams has the potential to be one of the more important moves Dave Gettleman has made as general manager. So, you know, I think that the offense in terms of their, their skill positions are probably top 15 in the league. And with Patrick Graham as a coordinator and the players they have in, in place in the back end and up front, you might be looking at this as a top 15 or 16 defense as well based on talent alone. All right, so I'm going to get to the question that is on everyone's mind at all times, it seems like, over the past two weeks. Matt, Tim Tebow has the best-selling top two jerseys. His home jersey and the alternate jersey are the top two-selling jerseys since the draft. And I just wonder if the Jaguars are playing some level of 3D, 4D, 5D chess that we just aren't able to comprehend as football fans. But it sort of seems like what they signed him for it's playing out in real time in front of our eyes, and it's sort of working. Now, the question is, and I was talking to my producer yesterday, um, Joe DiBiase here, and we were talking like, it's fun in games to sort of make fun of. And then you actually look at their tight end roster and who they have. Like, they have a former Canisius College player, like basketball player here in Buffalo, play, like as their top start at Chris Mannerts, who's like not really a starting caliber tight end. Like, Matt, is Tim Tebow going to make the team? Because it sort of feels like he's going to. Yeah, this is a really complicated one for me, Nate, because I just look at his entire career and it just feels like Tim Tebow has failed upwards ever since he made it to the NFL. And don't get me wrong, he's a college football Hall of Famer, arguably one of the greatest college football players to play that sport. But he's a clear something like 47% passer, and, and he just never cut it as a quarterback. And yet he's been embraced by the right wing of the political spectrum as this cause celebrate almost the anti-Colin Kaepernick to that side of the spectrum. And yet here we are, nine years after the Eagles released Tim Tebow out of training camp, and he was essentially out of the league. And you're looking at Jacksonville, they could easily call up Philadelphia, who has Dallas Goddard at tight end, and offer a third-round pick for Zach Ertz. And that might be enough to get it done. All of a sudden, you drop Zach Ertz into an offense with LaVishka Chenault and with Trevor Lawrence and with the DJ Shark and all of the talent they have. And that's a nice little collection of talent. They could have went out and they could have signed Trey Burton, you know, who's an established NFL tight end. But instead, it feels like they went the route here of a gimmick player that you talk to people inside the league, Nate, and I think that there are executives and rival coaches who look at this and say that Urban Meyer already had a better chance of never making the playoffs than he did of ever making the Super Bowl. And you bring in Tim Tebow into a locker room of young players who have no real idea or connection to Tim Tebow. They're just trying to, to win a job and win games in the NFL. Urban Meyer runs the risk of losing his locker room before the season begins yeah. if Tim, Tim Tebow doesn't perform. Now, he might wind up sticking. He might wind up making the roster. But that doesn't mean there weren't better options to fast-track the Jaguars' rebuild. So that's where I kind of scratch my head and say, I get it that it's a cultural talking point. I don't know, though, that Tim Tebow makes the Jaguars any closer to being a competitive team. Certainly not. I mean, I, I don't think the question really goes to, you know, does he make them better? I think it just goes to, I, I, like, there. it looks like there's a pretty clear path for him to make the team just based on lack of depth of that position and the idea that he's got this 
this relationship with with Urban Meyer and, and say what you will about Urban For Meyer. Sure. I think it's pretty obvious that you know as a as a guy running the show for an NFL organization because I'm just not buying Trent Balk has really much say in what's happening here. I think this is the Urban Meyer show, and I just think I just don't think he's really equipped to make the decisions. I mean, the the whole debacle with his you know strength and conditioning coach earlier, just the the lack of awareness it seems like with Urban Meyer um, has been alarming, and I think this is sort of a move that fits that lack of awareness, just outside awareness, anyways. Okay, I have one more question for you before I let you go for the weekend here, Julio Jones. What do you think? Like, if you were a betting man right now, you go to the Vegas sports book. Where are you putting your money on? Cool boy, that's a good one. And and you know if and I wrote about this in my column on Wednesday, if the Green Bay Packers can somehow appease Aaron Rodgers and bring him back, I think they owe it to themselves and to Rodgers to offer a first-round pick and get this done, right? Because if you drop Julio Jones into an offense with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, a team that went to the NFC title game, came about a quarter away from going to a Super Bowl last year, had it not been for Tom Brady and that juggernaut in Tampa Bay, they have the means, they have the motivation um, if Julio Jones is truly done in Atlanta and if the Falcons are willing to take the best offer, if I'm Green Bay, I have to get involved there. But a couple teams to watch, look out for the Raiders. Uh, I've heard the Patriots certainly are a team to keep an eye on there. And San Francisco with, with Shanahan and a team looking to build around the young quarterback, those are probably the three most likely landing spots. But if I'm the Packers and if I can convince Aaron Rodgers to just shut up and come home and maybe throw a little extra money his way, and dangle the Julio Jones carrot, that's the move that I'm going to make to try to you know, appease everybody and get this ship rocking and rolling in the right direction. Matt, appreciate you so much for, uh, for jumping on and talking with me this afternoon. Really appreciate it. Thanks for making time. Love the insight as always. We'll definitely have you on again soon. And uh, enjoy your long weekend, and, uh, and good luck on the links this year, man. You got it, brother. We got to hook up for around the golf at some point. It's not that long a drive. Absolutely. I'm always down for a short drive for golf. You do not have to sell me on that. So I'm absolutely into that any day, man. You got it, brother. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Matt Lombardo there, a fan-sided. He's an NFL insider for them on the Western Hotline. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.